welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today is January 29th, and we're going to look at Genesis 29 today. As a reminder, every day I read from one chapter in the Bible, and then I very briefly explain key ideas and themes and the theology very briefly. My goal is to get you into God's Word for about 5 to 20 minutes every day. So let's get into our reading today from the Word of God. Genesis 29 says this, Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. And Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. And he said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, it, it is, is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. And so he said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they, but he, they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. And when he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that she that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. And as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to them, Surely you are bone of my bone and flat my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. And then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? And now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. And so Jacob served served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. And then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. And so Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpha to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? 
And Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. And then Laban gave him his daughter to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. And so Jacob went in to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son, and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name is called Levi. And she conceived again and bore him a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. And then she ceased bearing. This is our reading today from Genesis 29. What we see in Genesis 29 in the first 14 verses of this chapter is Jacob meets Rachel and Laban. Now, aspects of this episode parallel the earlier account of the journey of Abraham's servant to Paddan Aran in order to find a wife for Isaac in chapter 24 of Genesis. And while both accounts involve providential encounters, subtle differences exist. Whereas Abraham's servant prays for divine guidance, Jacob is not recorded as praying here. In chapter 24, Rebekah's willingness to water the camels proves decisive in establishing her identity as Isaac's future wife. And on this occasion, Jacob's willingness to water Laban's herd establishes a special relationship between the two men. Verse 1, the people of the east. Now, this is an unusual way of referring to the inhabitants patting a ram in northwest Mesopotamia. And yet in Genesis, the East is often associated with those who are expelled or even move away from the presence of God. So this brief comment it possibly signals that Jacob's relatives do not worship the Lord. Now, in verses 2 through 3, these verses, they give us information about the process by which herds were normally watered at the well. And attention here is drawn to the large stone that covered the well's mouth. In verses 4 through 6, when Jacob discovered that the shepherds are from Haran, in verse 4, he inquires after his uncle. Laban, the son of Nahor, in verse 5. And strictly speaking, Laban is Nahor's grandson. The Hebrew term for son may denote any male descendant. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus is described as the son of David in Matthew 1.1, even though David lived about a thousand years earlier. Verse 6. Providentially, Laban's uh, daughter, Rachel, is spotted bringing her herd to the well. Rachel means you, an appropriate name for a shepherdess in verse 9. Verse 10. Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Now, Jacob demonstrates extraordinary strength in being able to move the stone. Verses 11 through 14. Jacob kissed Rachel in verse 11, which is probably an act of family affection rather than of romance. Jacob discloses his identity to Rachel in verse 1, who in turn introduces him to her father Laban. Uh, the, the warmth of the family reunion is shown by, by the way Laban embraces and even kisses his nephew Jacob in verse 13. Verses 15 through 30. 
Jacob marries Leah and Rachel. So Jacob's journey to Paddan Aram is to find a wife, and it results in his obtaining not one but two. And so the episode here is full of irony. Having deceived his father by pretending to be the firstborn, Jacob himself is now deceived by his uncle Laban into marrying his firstborn daughter Leah. And afterward, Laban permits Jacob to marry Rachel, but only on the understanding that Jacob will work another seven years in order to pay the bride price for her. Verses 15 through 18. I, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, in the ancient Near East, it was customary for the, a prospective husband to give the bride's father a substantial gift or money known as the bride price. And so Jacob indicates that he is prepared to work for Laban to give the equivalent of seven years wages for Rachel. Verse 22, made a feast. Now, feasting was an important element of ancient Near Eastern weddings. Verse 23, in the evening, it was dark or nearly dark when Leah was introduced to Jacob for the consummation of their marriage. And the darkness in a world without artificial lightning can be pitch black. And at this state, Jacob did not realize that Leah was the bride. She may have also come to him wearing a veil, the sign of a betrothed woman. Verse 24, the mention of Zilpha here anticipates later developments when she will become a substitute wife for Leah in Genesis 39 through 13. Verse 25, only in the morning does Jacob realize that he has been deceived by Laban. Verse 26, and so to give the younger before the firstborn. Laban's remarks are highly ironic in light of Jacob's earlier deception of his father. Verse 27, complete the week of this one. The wedding celebration lasted seven days. And so Laban persuades Jacob to complete this process with Leah on the understanding that he will then be able to marry Rachel. This would also give ample opportunity for Leah to conceive a child. Verse 29, the mention of Bilhah here anticipates later developments, for she is going to bear children on behalf of Rachel for Jacob in Genesis 33 through 8. Genesis 29, 31 through 30, 24. We see here Jacob's children. And these events, they report the birth of 11 sons and one daughter to Jacob. Not surprisingly, given his unexpected marriage to Leah, Jacob's domestic scene is fraught with tension. Laban's deception and manipulation of Jacob creates years of discord between his two daughters. Genesis 29:31. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, from the outset Jacob had loved Rachel, verse 18 of this chapter tells us. He found it difficult to love Leah given the events that have brought them together, and Rachel also probably had loathed her sister for the same reason. And yet their treatment of Leah causes the Lord to favor her over Rachel. And now while Leah is able to have the children, Rachel is barren. And as Genesis highlights, the Lord is ultimately the one who creates human life. Genesis 29, 32-35. Leah bears Jacob four sons, and each son's name is associated with a wordplay involving a comment made by Leah. Reuben, we see in verse 32. Simon, here in verse 33. Levi, attached in verse 34. And Judah, praise in verse 35. And as we continue on, we're, we're looking at the life of Jacob. And so as we continue looking at this patriarch of Israel, he, he had just had his first direct encounter with the Lord who had pledged to protect and to give him children, even though he was on the run from Esau in Genesis 27, 41 and Genesis 28, 10 through 22. We see God is faithful to his promise. And translated most literally, the Hebrew of Genesis 29, 1 reads, Jacob picked up his feet. 
As one commentator puts it, there is a new spring in his step following his encounter with Yahweh at Bethel. His journey to the east will be a speedy one, for Jacob has begun to realize the truth of God's promises to him and the reality of the safety and the purpose that he finds under divine providence. Hebrew narrative often teaches us about the Lord's superintendence of all things indirectly, and this is the case in Genesis 29. There are no explicit references to the Creator's ordering of Jacob's circumstances, but the event parallels with Genesis 24. It indicates that Moses wants us to see God's hidden promise when Jacob meets Rachel. In the first place, their first encounter happens at a well in verse 10, and Abraham's servant meets Rebekah at a well in Genesis 24, 10-15. Maybe even the same one where Jacob now finds himself. And furthermore, just as Abraham's servant just happened to come to the right place, so too does Jacob stumble upon the location where he makes contact with Laban's family in verse 12. Rachel's tending of her father's flock in verse 6 sets her apart as a woman of industry like her aunt Rebecca, who also had this praiseworthy quality, which we see in Genesis 24, 16-20, and Proverbs 31, 13-19. And there, these are not coincidences. The same Lord who found a wife for Isaac has now found one for Jacob. And Jacob is a man on a mission, and he does not let the shepherd's reluctance to give him the information he's looking for stop him from taking the initiative to find Laban. The same tenacity that got him into trouble with Esau in Genesis 25, 29 through 34 now serves him well as he flaunts the shepherd's custom and waters Laban's sheep before all the other flocks that arrived in verses 8 and 10. He's going to find his uncle and fulfill the purpose for which he traveled as we see in Genesis 27, 43 and Genesis 29, 12. Now, often we are unaware of how the Lord is working in our lives to produce good for his kingdom. In his commentary on this particular chapter, John Calvin gives helpful counsel. Whenever we may wander in uncertainty through intricate windings, we must contemplate with eyes of faith the secret providence of God which governs us and our affairs and leads us to unexpected results. That is to say, our Father is ordering our lives to glorify him even if we cannot always see it. When we first met Laban, I explained that Moses hinted at his greedy character by emphasizing how he noticed the riches available to him should his sister Rebecca marry Isaac in Genesis 24, 29-31. And what Genesis 29 does is it hints at Laban's mercenary disposition yet again, though Jacob will be forced to pay a different price for Rachel. And now, hearing of Rachel's encounter with Jacob, Laban runs to meet his nephew, just as he earlier ran to meet Abraham's servant. And, and given his focus on wealth in the earlier narrative, we may suggest Laban's joyful response to Jacob is at least partially motivated by what Rebekah's son might do for him. Laban has heard of the younger man's strength. He, he removed the well cover without aid and is already hoping to put Jacob's power to work for himself. His offer to pay his nephew seems generous, but we suspect Laban's intentions because he reduces family ties to a business enterprise. In fact, Laban will later exploit Jacob's labor for Rachel's hand in marriage, and so he has apparently noticed his nephew's affection for his younger daughter and knows Jacob wants her as his wage. But in those days, the groom's family paid the bride's family uh, to arrange betrothal. And if Rachel will be his, Jacob must uh, not take from Laban. He must offer something in return. And so Jacob offers seven years of service to Laban in order to wed his beloved. 
Now, Jacob's offer is generous. His seven years to labor is worth 126 shekels, nearly three times more than the maximum bride price, according to Mosaic Law in Deuteronomy 22:29. But Jacob's love for Rachel is so deep that no price is too high for her hand. Now, today, a man may not enter into servitude for a wife, and yet he will go to and do great things for the woman during courtship. In love, he will work overtime to buy an engagement ring. He will write poems, buy flowers, go places she enjoys, but he dislikes, and on and on. And yet, the love motivating such things is commended in the Word of God, in Song of Solomon, in uh, 4.10, and Ephesians 5.25. Even if its public displays may change. How sad, then, that many Christian couples show less affection for one another after their wedding day than before they were married. Husbands, when was the last time you did something relatively small out of love for your wife? If you are called to love your wife in such a way that you are willing to die for her, as Ephesians 5.25 says, can you not help her with housework, talk about meaningful things with her, or do anything she will see as loving? Wives, if your husband shows less devotion to you now than, than before, uh, you are married, consider if you're still behaving in a way that would inspire such attention. Galatians 6, 6-10 gives an important principle for living life before the face of God. God is not mocked, Paul says, for whatever one sows, that he will also weep. And in context, the Apostle Paul is speaking of eternal matters and our need to sow in the Spirit, continuing to trust and follow Christ alone so as to inherit eternal life. But the principle of reaping and sowing is also evident in how our sins often come back to haunt us in this life. And Jacob learns this lesson the hard way. We're seeing that Laban agreed to give his daughter as a wife to Jacob in exchange for seven years of his service. And yet Laban does not mention Rachel by name in Genesis 29:19. Laban only says it is better to give her to his nephew without specifying who this her will be. And yet this chapter shows us Laban was setting up Jacob for a fall with these words. Following Jacob's seven years of service, Laban holds a feast to celebrate his daughter's wedding. Marriage ceremonies in that culture, they included parades to and from the bride's home, a large meal, continued partying long after the couple consummated their marriage. The bride was veiled during the ceremony, and so Laban was able to substitute Leah in place of Rachel, especially since wine was likely consumed during the festivities. And there is poetic justice in this event, for Jacob the deceiver is now himself deceived. He has not gone unpunished for tricking Isaac into giving him the better blessing. And earlier, Jacob deceptively substituted himself, the younger son, in place of the older one before the face of his father. And now the table has turned for his father-in-law, has hoodwinked Jacob, giving him his older daughter when Isaac's son was expecting the younger. Jacob rightly complained about this treatment, but God justly used Laban's treachery to teach the patriarch an important lesson about the proper way to lay hold of the promises of God. It is as if the Lord said to Jacob, Yes, I have chosen you, and am sovereignly using your transgressions for my purposes. But I do not approve of the way in which you've lived, and now I must discipline you for it. And as we've seen many times over and over again in our lives, no doubt, it is an undeniable truth that our Father will discipline his beloved children for their sins. Job's life shows us that not every misfortune comes as a result of the Lord's chastisement. But we are right to look at our hardships and consider if God is using them to get us back in line as he did with Jacob. 
and know that the Lord's discipline is a sign of his love for you and take it as an opportunity to grow in your walk of faith. As we read the history of our forefathers in the faith, we cannot help but feel sorry for Leah, Jacob's first wife. In the first place, we read that her eyes are weak in verse 17, probably meaning that they lack the sparkle of glint that was highly prized in that culture. Well, in any case, it's clear she is not as physically attractive as her sister. And second, her own father uses her as a pawn to coax more years of service out of Jacob. And her own week-long wedding reception is tainted by being also a celebration of Laban's craftiness. And then her indignities are only compounded by having to suffer through another seven days where the pretty sister is the center of attention after marrying her husband as well. Of course, she would also bear the burden of living with the knowledge that she was not all that desirable to Jacob. And so Jacob's lack of love for Leah is even clearer in this chapter. In fact, we read in verse 31 that, that she was hated, a word that in this context means loved less. Not that Jacob maliciously detested her. Still, this is a sad situation for Leah. And yet the Lord loves Leah even when Jacob does not. He saw her, verse 31, a verb scripture often uses right before God acts on behalf of the oppressed. For example, the Lord sought his people Israel before he liberated them from Egyptian slavery, as we see in Exodus 2.25. And here, God opens Leah's womb and makes her a mother before Rachel, giving her the greatest status a woman in that society could have. And still, her longing for her husband to love her remains foremost in her mind. Her first three sons, Reuben, Simon, and Levi, are all named in hopes that her affection will not remain unrequited. You see, God ordinarily chooses to exalt what men have rejected. And this is what he does for Leah. She bears many of the sons God will make into the 12 tribes of Israel. And most notable of these boys is, of course, Judah, for whom Leah offers praise to the Lord. This looks to the day thousands of years later when Judah's greatest son opened the way for all peoples to praise the Creator. Not only would, would Leah have the honor of mothering the priestly Levi and the royal Judah tribes of Israel, she is also ultimately the mother of the Savior who himself embodies both of these roles. If this supreme honor was given to Leah, how can we doubt that God will exalt us in his own time? You see, if you are in Christ and feel unloved and unwanted or unappreciated or your service seemed to not be making an impact, know that God loves you and will raise you up in his own good time. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching today's episode of the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and today is January 29th, and we've looked at Genesis 29. Until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.